Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Do you ever feel like there ought to be more to life? Have you ever contemplated that question in your life? Should there be more to life? Do you read the accounts of the supernatural events in the Bible and think to yourself, why isn't my life more like that? Why isn't it more eventful? Why isn't God giving me a sign in my life that something is definitely working in a way that he wants to happen or vice versa? Do you read about Moses parting the Red Sea or Elijah calling down fire from heaven, which by the way, he's not here so I can make fun of him, but one of the games we played on New Year's Eve, one of the questions was, what would need to happen in order for you to tithe more? And he says, if I was able to call down fire from heaven. So we're going to be installing uh, fire machines. No, not really. But of that degree, or maybe the eyes of Elisha's servant being opened so that he could see that the mountains around him were being filled with horses and chariots of fire and think, I've certainly never experienced anything like that. Do you ever wonder that? Have you ever asked that? Do you read how the Holy Spirit came upon the early church and people and they were empowered to hear others speak in their own language and how an ordinary fisherman like Peter was able to preach Jesus with such boldness and long for that kind of power in your own life? Shouldn't there be something more to this life as a follower of Christ? I sure know that I feel like that at times, and my guess is that most of you do too. I think of the late great Baptist pastor Adrian Rogers, and he had a pretty good handle on why we often feel like that. He once compared Christians who don't understand the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit to someone who buys a new car and then pushes that car everywhere because they don't realize that it has an engine. And unfortunately, I think that is probably a pretty accurate picture of the way that so many followers of Christ attempt to live their lives apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I'm convinced that is the main reason why we often feel like there ought to be something more to life. I think we sense deep down that there is power out there. But for some reason, we're not connected to it. And that is not a new problem in the church, I will tell you that. It is not a new problem. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Galatia, he addressed that very problem. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ 
was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Galatians chapter 3. I think it would be pretty safe to assume that all of us who have entered into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, much like we talked about last week, in Christ, we would acknowledge that our relationship with God would not be possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Without him drawing us to Jesus and revealing our sin and our need for a Savior, none of us would have ever submitted our lives to Christ on our own. Our walk with Christ, as Paul puts it, was clearly begun by the Spirit. But once we've entered into that relationship with God, it seems that we often abandon the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and attempt to live for Jesus like those Galatian believers, trying to perfect our faith in the flesh. And I'm convinced that in most cases we don't do that intentionally. It's just that we don't have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. And so this new sermon series, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And why it's so important that we acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Unfortunately, there seems to be both a lack of understanding as well as a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Perhaps some of you who, like me, came from a conservative church background and have a conservative theology even get a bit uneasy when I say that we're going to spend, you know, X amount of time focusing on the Holy Spirit. It's not preached enough. Why? I don't know. But it's not preached enough. Sin is not preached enough. The Holy Spirit is not preached enough. Because there is still the misunderstanding about who he is, what he is, why he is. But let me assure you before we begin that we're not talking about things like uncontrollable laughter. We've talked about different ways that people worship God. And the, the talking in tongues and things of that nature. But I'm not going to talk about those things like, again, the uncontrollable laughter. Uh, we've seen people bark like dogs uh, on TV that do this when they're praising God. Um, public hearings and, and other similar actions which some mostly charismatic churches have claimed are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. As will discover in our study in this sermon series, the Holy Spirit has many much more important things that he wants to do in our lives to empower us to live abundant 
godly lives. It's not about the show. It's not about that. It's not even about us. It's about the work that he does in our lives so that others may come to know Christ himself. So it seems the logical way to begin this study is by answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? So who is the Holy Spirit? And although I could take you through a whole lot of scripture to answer that question, which we will, but also we're going to look at just one passage this morning and we're going to let Jesus answer that question for us with his own words. And let me tell you right up front that the message this morning may be a bit different than you're used to. Good. I'm glad we're in agreement. Good. Rather than give you a logical outline to follow, which you already do in your bulletin, because I'm nice, We're going to go through the main points, and of course you can fill in the blanks as we go. But what I'd like to do is just work our way through the words of Jesus, and then wrap it up with some conclusions that we can draw from these words. So in our sermon this morning, I've given you some room to take some notes as you would like, but you won't find the fill-in things. I know there are some individuals that like to put that in there where it says blank and then so and so and so and so. I don't want to call that lazy, but I think it's important that we seek out the words, that we seek out the answers and allow God to speak through us through his own words, not mine, not Dave's, not anybody else's, through Christ's words. So if you would, if you would turn with me to John chapter 14, a very, very familiar uh, portion of scripture here that we've read over and over and over again. But it's important to understand if we're going to know who the Holy Spirit is, we need to get that from the horse's mouth. Who is the Holy Spirit? So go ahead, turn to chapter 14 in John. And before I begin reading there, I want you to consider the context of this scripture. In John chapter 13, Jesus had gathered the disciples to observe the Passover meal together. He washed their feet as an example of the kind of love that we were to have for each and every one of us. Um, And at the conclusion of the meal, he revealed that he has love for them. But maybe not so much the love that we think of when we think of love. So it's not hard to imagine how troubled his followers would have been. After all, they had spent three years of their life being with Christ. They had come to know and they came to love him. And they just wanted to be with him. But now we hear... We have Jesus was going to leave them. And they were troubled. And perhaps those disciples felt a lot like we often do when we're wondering if that was all there was to life. What were they going to do 
once Jesus was gone. But as we'll see, Jesus was going to leave them physically, but he certainly wasn't going to leave them on their own. Knowing that their hearts were troubled, Jesus spoke the words of comfort beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to me also, that where I am, you may also be. And even though he was about to leave them, Jesus reassured his disciples that his departure wasn't going to be permanent. He was going to prepare a place for them, and one day he would return to take them to dwell permanently with him. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that it was actually a good thing that he was leaving them. And as Jesus continues to reassure his disciples, those disciples seek some clarification, as I think most of us would as well. They didn't understand what was going on. They knew that they loved him. They knew that they loved being in his presence. But what did that mean that he was leaving? Would that relationship end? Would that relationship uh, dwindle away because he wasn't in their presence? As Jesus continues again to reassure his disciples, they start asking questions. But we pick up that account in verse 4. He says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, obviously the disciples still don't completely understand what Jesus is saying. In fact, I think most of them probably thought he was speaking in parables once again. And so they were looking for the lesson to be learned. They were looking for the reason why Jesus was saying what he was saying and doing what he was doing. They still think that he is referring to a physical location here on this earth because the idea of Jesus' resurrection is still foreign to them. But Jesus makes it clear that when he leaves them to go to the Father that they will eventually be able to join him there. But there's only one way that they're allowed to even get there, and he explains that. Now, when I use the map app on my phone to get directions, which, you know, guys, we don't really need them, but it's nice to have. Uh, that app often gives you several different um, alternative routes that you can take to get to your destination. Am I right? But when it comes to how to get to be with Jesus while he is at his father's house, there is only one route. Faith in Jesus. The one who is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus 
assures his followers that if they just keep following him, they will get to the Father. I have the belief sometimes if I just keep driving, somehow I'll magically get to my destination. That's not always true. And I may have driven that route a hundred times. I still have problems finding that destination. I need guidance. I need someone to reassure me that I'm going the right way. That I'm not going to make a wrong turn. That I'm not going to completely get off the grid and not be able to find my way back. But you see, as Jesus continues, he reassures them that because they have seen him and that they know him, and that they have also seen and known the Father. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. We believe you. Just show us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I think we're often pretty quick to condemn Thomas and Philip and the other disciples because they are so slow to understand some of the things that Jesus was saying. But... If we step back for a moment and think about what was going through their minds, we might have a clearer picture. Those disciples have been taught from the scripture since childhood that there is only one God and that God is one. Even today, every faithful Jew recites every morning and evening a prayer known as the, anyone know? The Shema. That begins with these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But here Jesus is telling him that he and the Father are one. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. And yet they are different. Jesus is not the Father and the Father is not Jesus. Do you understand that? I don't. And I didn't for a long time. Even on the other side of the cross, I can't totally wrap my mind around those ideas. I believe it because it's in the Bible. And that truth has been spoken to me. But I sure don't understand it fully. But I'm okay with that. Because knowing that, He is God. There are just some things about God that that I am not going to fully understand until I see him face to face one day. 
that very same book of the Bible that reveals that God is one also contains these words in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may all do all the words of this law. There are some things about God that we just have to take on faith right now. And because God has chosen not to reveal them fully to us, we have to take it at face value and say, okay, God, I've put my trust in you. If you say it to be true, it must be true. And certainly the idea of a God who is one and yet who consists of more than one person is certainly one of those mysteries. But it is also a mystery that is taught so consistently throughout the Bible that we must believe it. We must believe it. Up until now, the comfort that Jesus has been given to his followers has dealt strictly with what was going to happen in the future. Jesus was going to leave them to go be with his father, with whom he was one. And even though he was not the father himself, there he would prepare a place for them. And then in the future, he would return to those who had placed their faith in him and be with him and his father. Now, we all know that to be certainly wonderful news for us. But I have to think that the disciples had the same kind of thoughts that we have when we think about those future things. It's great that we'll be able to be with Jesus and the Father someday, but what about right now? What do we do in the meantime? How does that empower us to live our lives here on this earth until we go be with Jesus? Unfortunately, there are some, if not many, who claim to be Christians who try to live their lives without ever answering that question. So their lives are just trying to hang on until either they die or Jesus returns. And in the meantime, they're miserable. And that certainly doesn't sound like the kind of abundant life that Jesus had earlier promised to his followers. As Jesus continues his discussion with his disciples, he begins to answer that question. He begins to reveal the secret to living an abundant life of obedience to the things of Jesus right here and right now. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Even though Jesus is going to be with the, with the Father. His followers are going to have access to him through prayer. 
And although they will remain here on earth when Jesus leaves to be with the Father, they have the ability to ask Jesus to work in their everyday lives. So do we. And Jesus promises that if they ask according to his will for their lives, he is going to answer those prayers. Why are we a church that believes in prayer? Because God answers. God answers. And he is going to answer those prayers. It may not be the answer we like. Don't get me wrong. But he is going to answer. And he's going to do that. (coughs) Excuse me. For two reasons. First. He is going to answer their prayers. Because he wants to empower his followers. To do even greater works. Than he had done. During his earthly ministry. Imagine that. Christ holds us in so much esteem. That he thinks we can do better than he did. And he empowers us to do so. Isn't that exciting? He wants to empower us. But how can we possibly do greater things than the Son of God? How is that possible? We don't have time to dwell on that idea this morning. But at least in part, that is possible Because Jesus was just one man who was limited in his humanity to being in only one place at one time. But millions of his followers, empowered by prayer, can minister to many more people than Jesus ever encountered personally while here on earth. Why is it important that we save just that one person? Because they can reach that person. And then they in turn can reach that person. That's why it's important. That's why we minister here on earth. We continue the work of Jesus Christ. So much so he holds us in esteem that he thinks we could do better. I laugh at that statement, but that is true. He really does believe that and he believes in us. And secondly, Jesus is going to answer the prayers of his followers because when he answers their prayers, his father gets the glory from that. His father gets the glory. The fact that Jesus is going to answer their prayers begins to answer the question about how they are going to live for Jesus right now. While Jesus is with the Father and they are on earth, they can still speak to Jesus and he will answer them. But Jesus still has something even better in store for them and for you and I. He says, if you love me and you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is going to send another helper. One who would be with them forever. He was leaving. But he wasn't going to leave them alone. 
He had a parting gift, if you will. And this helper would not only be with them, he was going to dwell with them and even be in them. And later in his discourse, Jesus clearly identifies this helper as the Holy Spirit. And certainly these brief words of Jesus don't tell us everything we need to know about the Holy Spirit, but they certainly give us enough insight to begin to tap into that power that he has for the followers of Christ. So we need to see what we can learn from these verses. Why do we read these verses over and over and over again if we don't understand what they mean? We need to understand what they really mean. You see, first, Jesus promises to ask the Father to send another helper. And in Greek, there are a couple of different words that can be translated another in English. The Greek word heteros means another of a different kind. And we get our English word heterosexual from that, which means a relationship between two people of a different sex. And from that word, Jesus uses a different word here, the Greek word alos, which means another of the same kind. So it is the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 10 when he said that he had other sheep. And the word that is used frequently throughout the Gospel of John when John refers to the other disciple. And in all those cases, we see that the word indicates another of the same kind. So in other words, Jesus is saying here that the helper he was going to send was going to be like him. The Holy Spirit would be just like Jesus in almost every way. And in fact, the only significant difference is that his leadership would be invisible and opposed to the leadership of Jesus which had been physical and visible. But other than that, the Holy Spirit would think, the Holy Spirit would behave and operate in exactly the same way that Jesus had. In other words, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is God. That is why we believe in the Trinity. It works together, and it does not work if all three are not there. It does not work. Here in this chapter, Jesus has given us a beautiful picture of that trinity. And even though he never uses that word, he and the Father are one. They are both God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. And once Jesus leaves the earth, he sends the Holy Spirit, who is God, just like he is. But again, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. So, we have all three persons of the Godhead here in this chapter. And that's why it's important we read this passage over and over and over again. Because it's important to understand who God is. It's important to know who Jesus is. It is important to know who the Holy Spirit is and why they are all one. Together, they comprise one God. But each of them is unique and has a different role. Just like all of us. 
We are all of one purpose. But we all do different things to achieve that goal. And next we see that the Holy Spirit is a helper. And some of you may be aware that the Greek word John uses there is parakletos, which is a compound word. And for my English majors, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't, para, which means beside, kletos is to call or invite. So, to call alongside. So probably the best way we could picture what that word meant to Jesus' followers is to think of the helper as a coach, if you will. One who comes alongside an athlete to help them accomplish their goals. And that coach is constantly reinforcing everything the athlete is doing correctly and making corrections and providing instruction when the athlete needs to improve his or her performance in some area. But that's essentially the role Jesus had played in the lives of his followers while he was here on earth. He encouraged them when they followed him faithfully. He rebuked them when they strayed off course. He provided instruction when their understanding was inadequate. He was going to leave them now but he was going to send another that would be just like him in providing that kind of coaching in their lives. But even though the other helper, the Holy Spirit, would do the same things that Jesus had done for them, he was going to do that in an amazing, supernatural way. Jesus had been with him. He had walked with him. But the Holy Spirit would not only dwell with him, he would be in them. He would actually come and live inside their body. Do we understand the significance of that? I think the disciples who were with Jesus that day had to be totally blown away by that thought. After all, Jesus in his humanity couldn't be with all of his followers all the time. So even while he was physically present here on earth, there were times when the disciples were alone and felt like they had to live their life in their own power. Sound familiar? But the promise of the Holy Spirit is that God himself will dwell with us permanently. Permanently. Every moment of every day, he is available to us to be that coach who guides us, teaches us, rebukes us when we need it, and trains us up to live a life in a way that would be pleasing to God. And knowing that leads us to the second conclusion that we can draw about the Holy Spirit today. Our first conclusion, which was just a few moments ago, is that the Holy Spirit is God. But we also see in the passage that the Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is God, but he's also a person. And unfortunately, far too many people have developed their understanding of the Holy Spirit from the Star Wars movies than from the Bible. Forget me wrong, I love Star Wars. They're awesome. They're fun to watch. 
But there is some variant of the famous phrase, may the force be with you, right? And every single movie in that series, and I think that even many Christians think of the Holy Spirit like that, that it's some kind of impersonal force within them. (coughs) Excuse me. But the work of the Holy Spirit, as revealed in the Bible, shows that he, notice I didn't say it, manifests all the characteristics of a person. He has a mind, knowledge, and a will. He exhibits emotions. He speaks, teaches, bears witness, guides, hears, and intercedes, among other things. Only a person can do that. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? I wish that I could have lived when Jesus was on this earth. It would have been great to live my life physically in the presence of Jesus. To walk with him, talk with him. If only I could have done that, I know, I know that I would have been, it would have been so much easier for me. It would have been so much easier for me to be like him. Perhaps you've even had those thoughts yourself. But what Jesus tells us in this passage is that it is better for us that he left the earth and left his followers here. Because he ascended to be with the Father. We now have the Holy Spirit. A person who is 100% God, who lives not just with us, but in us. But in order for that fact to really matter in our lives, we've got to quit pushing our spiritual cars around and recognize that those cars have engines and get into the cars and turn the ignition. We have a job to do. And in the coming weeks, We're going to spend some time looking at how we can do that. How we can plug into the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we no longer have to go around asking, is this all there is? Again, we've just scratched the surface this morning, but it seems that the appropriate response to God's word is that we should spend some time in prayer. Asking God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of our church. Would you agree? I do too. We have an opportunity. We have a purpose set out before us. And we can only accomplish that if God is with us and God is in us. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to do just that. To not only be that presence in our lives, but so much so that Christ himself even believes 
that we could do more than he ever did. So when you sit there and you think, my life doesn't matter that much. My life as a Christian is small in comparison to the Lord's. My life is small in comparison to the pastor, the worship pastor, the leaders in the church. You're dead wrong. Dead wrong. The only reason we succeed, the only reason why we get to do what we do is because we do this as a collective effort. And God says each and every one of us is important in that big machine we call followers of Christ. And so we have to do this together. And we, in order to do that, we have to have the proper understanding and the knowledge that God has set out before us. And so we're going to explore that and understand who the Holy Spirit is. Amen? Dave. As we go into this new week, I'm really glad we're talking about the Holy Spirit. As we go into this new week, may we allow Him to compel us to lead us and to show us what can be done if we're just obedient to his following as we stand as we stand this is the air I breathe this is the air I breathe your Let's let him lead us through his spirit in Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've sent your spirit to be with us and in us so that we can be guided by you and to understand our purpose here is to serve, is to reach others for Christ so that we can all join together one day and proclaim the truth. And to have the understanding that you are God. And you are one. You are one with your Son. You are one with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the gift. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come to know you. And to come to know you is to know everlasting life. 
Thank you for our time here this morning. Bless us as we leave. And to the various activities of the day, I pray that you will be with us, that you will guide us in all the things that we say and do. Let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.